Hello, I'm Andrew Gentile. And I'm Mariana. And you're listening to Behind the Flicks, the very first episode. This show is all about me sharing as many facts as I know about filmmaking and directors and behind-the-scenes info about movies and whatnot to Ariana. And you'll join us for the ride. But really, she's way more knowledgeable about films than I am, so she'll probably be lecturing me. And she is giving me like such a head shake right now, which I don't understand why. Why are you shaking your head, Ariana? Because it's impossible. It is impossible for someone to know more about movies than you, Andrew. Maybe in the past 10 years, I know more about movies than you. But even then, even then, there's, there's, a, there's not really battle here, my friend. I am here to just witness your genius. Uh, I don't know about any of that. So my qualifications are that I graduated from De Anza College with an AA degree in film and television production, and currently I am studying cinema at SFSU. Ariana, what are your qualifications? Oh man, mine are gonna, mine are amazing. I watch movies, and I cry and I laugh and stuff like that. That's it. Thank you. I'm yes. clapping for myself. I'm clapping. Yeah. Please do. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. So, so for our first episode, I want to not just dive into film history, but sink our teeth into it, which is why we'll be covering 1939's The Wizard of Oz. So The Wizard of Oz, for those of you who don't know, is a story about a girl that grows up in Kansas. I don't really know how old she is, probably like pre-teens, according to... I don't know the way it seemed I just finished watching it again for the first time and I don't know how many years uh, 20 minutes ago so this young girl is unhappy with her family life because no one's listening to her story about how this wicked lady next door tried to take her dog and um, as a twister comes and hits the house a window knocks her out and she goes to the magical land of Oz and has a little adventure to get back home and Ariana how would you rate the film in terms of quality Ooh, I mean, A. A, A, A. For 1939, I loved every second of it. That is high praise right there. You, uh, Wizard of Oz, Mm -hmm. please note you have have won the heart and mind of the best film critic in the world. (laughs) It makes me, it's the movie you want to watch every year around, like, I don't know, springtime. I'd say it's a spring movie. Like every Easter, I'm going to pop out The Wizard of Oz. Okay. According to the Library of Congress, The Wizard of Oz is the most seen film in history, owing to its television showings. It's also probably and arguably one of the most beloved films of all time. And what's amazing is that The Wizard of Oz was released in the same year as a myriad of other classics of Mice and Men, Stagecoach, and most well-known of the bunch, Gone with the Wind. Many historians consider the year that those films were released, 1939, to be the greatest year in the history of Hollywood studio system. However, there are more horror stories behind the making of The Wizard of Oz than one can imagine for such a beloved classic. Ariana? Horror stories? <laughs> horror stories? Oh, man. Yes. Oh, man. Oh, man. To backtrack a little bit, let's get our definitions down. Let's just define What was a movie studio? Any guesses, Ariana? Like, how would you define a movie studio back then? I mean, I don't know. I I would think it's like this big warehouse with a bunch of, like, 
walled areas for sets that you walk around and there's a bunch of movies shooting. Well, that's not, that is pretty correct, but it doesn't tell the whole story, to be honest with you. Today, a movie studio is a subdivision of a corporation. For example, the Disney Corporation has theme parks, TV channels, merchandise, etc. And on top of that, a studio for the actual making of the movies. It's just a small piece of the pie. Back in the days of MGM, the movie studio that made The Wizard of Oz, the business of movies was much more singularly focused. Firstly, the way movies were produced was way different from now. The directors, screenwriters, stars, everyone involved in pre-production, post-production, and in-between were under contract to the studios. Like, you can't just make them stay at a particular studio. Oh, okay, so, like, if one actress, uh, like, they can work for any movie studio they want. Like, they can go for Lionsgate, and then they can go to Summit, and they then they can go to, like, wherever movie production studio they want to make a movie. Whereas back then, like, if you were an actress, you were contracted to, say, MGM. You can make movies at other studios. You absolutely got that right. With the uh, ellipses that uh, movie studios could loan out other stars. Like, for example, Clark Gable was loaned out for... Uh, it happened one night to, from MGM to, uh, I believe, Columbia. Studio heads gave the creatives very little, if any, power over their work or even their personal lives. And secondly, movie studios and the movie theaters were one and the same, meaning there was no Walt Disney Pictures and Cinemark Theaters, for example. It was that low Cineplex Entertainment owned MGM, but that's until Congress stepped in in the 1950s and realized that that was a monopoly. Wow, okay. And it was at that point that studios had to choose between creating films or exhibiting films. They chose creating, which eventually led to the death of the studio system in the 1960s. It's much less profitable to be actually making movies. But to set the scene for the time that allowed The Wizard of Oz to be made, let me just say, everyone went to the movies back then. And even though it was the Great Depression... Like you would you would think like not a lot of people went to the movies because it was the Great Depression, right? But everyone went to the movies because, for example, there was no TV and they wanted to escape their troubles. And so during the Great Depression, studios were flush with cash. And just like any other business, MGM was looking for a guaranteed way to make money, Ariana, cash, the big bucks, cheddar, lettuce, if you will. Other synonyms for money. <laughs> when Walt Disney released Snow White and the Seven Dwarves in 37 and it became the highest grossing film released up until that point, fantasy films were the new in genre. Well, Snow White, Snow White was the one that set off the fantasy genre? Yes, it did. We'll probably get into this more on a future episode when we cover Snow White. That was the first American feature-length animated film. But uh, people considered Snow White Disney's folly, like they considered it Disney's mistake because they said, oh, God, people will not want to look at an animated film for an hour and a half. It'll hurt their eyes. Wow. How far we've come. (laughs) So fantasy films were the new in genre. And because The Wizard of Oz as a book was hugely successful, adapting it was a no brainer. As I passionately mentioned before. Movie studio heads gave the creative people very little say into their work and personal lives. The reason being is that they wanted to make audiences think that the stars on and off screen were one and the same. So audiences would feel as if the fantasy of the silver screen was a fact. Wow. Furthermore, 
At the time The Wizard of Oz was made, MGM had the express goal of releasing one film a week from their studio. Holy crap, that's kind of, that's like impossible. Did they do it? Uh, sometimes they did, sometimes they fell short. You know, every once in a while they would do it. Wow, that's that's a huge goal. <laughs> and to be honest with you, Ariana, that kind of factory-like situation in terms of making movies is where the tragedy begins. For the for Wizard of Oz and the personal lives of the stars who were in the movie business. In order for the demanding output of one film a week to even be attempted, stars were constantly working. And they worked so many long hours that they needed to stay awake. And so MGM thought of a <clears throat> solution. Drugs. Oh, Jesus! I knew that was coming. MGM was able to get prescriptions for amphetamines so that their workforce could stay awake. Wow. The studio also got barbiturates so the stars could fall asleep. My mind went to, what, this really happened? Like in the 30s and 40s, they were just feeding people drugs to make them stay awake and go to sleep and everyone just kind of did it. Uh, yeah, that's correct. You know, I when I think of like that happening now, it probably totally does happen now. I mean, I, but I feel like people make more of a fuss about it. Were people making fuss about it back then? No, and you know why? The studios control the press. So they, the public didn't even know. Oh, jeez. Okay. And you want to get more depressed, Ariana? Yeah, what's next? Are they, like, whacking people? Stealing money? They definitely were doing that, but uh, that wasn't where I was going to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, where are you going? I'm ready. And from the time she was a child star, Judy Garland was no exception in terms of being fed drugs. I'm a little distraught. <laughs> I mean, it, oh, it gets worse. Ugh. These are these are the facts about movies. You know, there was a scene, like, if you watch the very beginning of The Wizard of Oz, when she's singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow, there's a lot of, like, camera angles. I don't know, it might be, just be lighting, but she just looks, like, tired. Like, she's got huge bags under her eyes, and, like, her cheeks are a little, like, she's got little dark spots on her cheeks. And it was the first time, like, because I had no idea how old she was when she made this movie. I remember, I feel like she was maybe older. Is that true? She was 17. She was only 17? Oh! And by the time she was 17 and cast in The Wizard of Oz, Garland was not only on amphetamines and barbiturates. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. But she was forced to smoke multiple packs of cigarettes a day in order to maintain what the studio executives thought of as a young girl's body type, which they deemed necessary for the role of Dorothy. Oh my gosh! No wonder. <laughs> Could okay, okay, isn't that horrible? That's horrible. That's She's so horrible. seventeen. They basically forced cancer down her throat so she could look thinner. Yeah, they made oh, her wow. do that. Wow. Poor Judy. And it gets worse. Okay. The actor originally cast to play the Tin Man, Buddy Ebsen, had to wear makeup which consisted of aluminum powder. This makeup caused an allergic reaction for this Tin Man actor, and he was hospitalized in critical condition after he could not breathe. Epson later claimed that MGM executives did not acknowledge the seriousness of his condition until they saw him in the hospital. <laughs> He's like, hey, my skin itches. Hey, is this kind of hot? Maybe, I mean, it's kind of itching. Oh, no, I'm having a hard time breathing. You think maybe I could take this off? No! <laughs> no, Ariana, you have to keep filming. Suffer through it. 
The show must go on. You're you're in, you're under contract, uh, Epson. You gotta keep filming. Oh man. So while Epson was recovering, they replaced him in the final film by with actor Jack Haley, who I really loved. Yeah, back when I was a kid, uh, the Tin Man was my favorite character. Oh, really? Why Tin Man? Uh, he looked cool. Which <laughs> he does look cool. He looks well. I like the eyes. Oh, he he has a heart because he's looking for a heart. Aww. He cares, you know. I like that. He does. It's a philosophical thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, so while Epson was recovering, he was replaced in the final film by Jack Haley. Halley, excuse me. Another noted makeup and special effects malfunction was in the scene where the Wicked Witch of the West exits Munchkinland in a fiery explosion. The first take of that scene went off without a hitch, but in the second take, the explosion came too soon. Margaret Hamilton, who played the witch, was seriously hurt. The problem was made worse by the green copper makeup she was made up with, you know, to make her hands and face look green. Hamilton had third degree burns on her hands and face and spent three months recuperating before returning to finish the job. So what we see of her in the movie is like three months burn recovery victim. It's like the studio executives owned these people. And this didn't end till the 60s. Uh, well, it's never ended. Mm. When the film was originally released in theaters, it actually lost money until its 1949 re-release. However, The Wizard of Oz was nearly universally acclaimed, which was probably one of the, des the deciding factors that allowed Judy Garland to sign a new contract with MGM. With this new contract, she became, for that moment, one of the top okay. stars in Hollywood. However, to end this list of facts on a sad note, she died of a drug overdose at the age of 49. Oh, man. 49. Do you know the drugs at all? Uh, barbiturates. Wow. When she was 49... It's just so sad. Those are just the stories we know about. So that's, that's kind of one of the points of this podcast, Ariana, is to kind of document and make people aware of, gosh, you know, there are so many stories behind these movies. Like, there are whole lives behind these movies. And it's not all pretty. I mean, there's got to be so many stories. Listeners, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, shoot us an email at independentcreatorstudios at gmail.com. If you are so inclined, please rate us and write a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. We'd love to hear your feedback. Behind the Flicks was created and recorded by myself and Ariana. I researched, wrote, and edited this episode. My name is Andrew Gentile. This has been an independent Creator Studios production.